So we're in this series called, You'll Be Glad You Did, okay? And what we're leaning into is this wisdom that is found all throughout Scripture. This time of year, every year, we really stop and pause and think about this wisdom that is available to all of us. And we're specifically talking this wisdom on something we think you'll be glad you did in regards to your soul. And a lot of people don't realize that there is soul care that you have to do. There is soul maintenance that you need to really think about. And if you do, you'll be so glad you did. However, most of us have never had a conversation in our life with people who love us or people who are fond of us about great soul care, okay? We usually just do whatever makes us happy, and that is not good for your soul. This is a rich conversation, and this message I have for you today, you're, you, you probably have never talked about it. And I'm fully aware that when we get to about the middle part, you may have some pushback. So let me talk to your pushback real quick. For everybody watching online, if at any point today you say, ugh, I don't like, I mean, that sounds great, but I don't know if I like that. Here's what I want you to do. Write it down. Write the point down. Write your response down. And I want you to ask yourself, why? And you may not get the answer today, but I believe that Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about why you push back on that. So today, there's this whole rich rhythm to life. And today, that's what today's message is about. It's God's rhythm for your soul. Instead of us trying to keep several rhythms going at the same time, and there's about three or four different songs playing, God has a rhythm to your life. And one of the first rhythms ever found in Scripture is not a 24-7, but a 24-6. From the very beginning, God made everything. God created all things. And he said some really great things after the creations. For instance, when it came to God creating the entire world, the universe, everything you see and don't see, things because they're too small or things because they're too far away, the universe even expanding as we speak from the very word of God creating everything, Everything we know as God's creation, God at the end of it turned and said, that is good. But a very interesting thing is when God made us, when he created man and woman, he actually turned at the end of it and called it very good. So here you have creation that receives a good. You have us that God says is very good. But then God, after creating for six days, rested on the seventh created everything we know and rested on the seventh and he didn't call it good or very good. He called it holy, which is beyond a good. 
and beyond a very good. It is stepping into a realm of which is kingdom and valuable and, and from God, a holy Sabbath. And he uses it as an example for each one of us to turn and begin a rhythm for each one of us to live in. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. Genesis, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the beginning of a conversation if we're going to talk about your soul and it being something that maybe you weren't raised doing. God set this rhythm up for you and it is good for your soul. In Leviticus 25, it says this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, hey, Mo, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land you shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. This is really different because God rested on the Sabbath and ex expects us to rest too. But it's not just for us. He says, I want you to practice this incredible principle even with the land. And I don't know if you know this, but even to this day, there are people practicing a six-year working of the fields and the land and then giving it a year off. As close to you as Seminole, Texas. In Seminole, Texas, as we speak, there are certain farmers who are practicing a rest period for their land. And they go and they plant crops, and they harvest those crops, and they plant more crops, and they harvest those crops. And for six years, they work that ground. And then they've decided, let's bring back this old principle. Let's put our farm on a rotation system. And let's break our farm down into seven groups, giving one section of land a year off, working the other six, and then the next year we'll rotate it. And the next year we'll rotate it. And it gives each track of land a year off while we work the rest. And this is as close as just down the road to you guys. And they have told myself, it is amazing what rest does for the land. Now, we live in a community that we just work it. We just work it good. And we don't take even our days off. And the land, no one's ever taught us. Because in New Mexico and southeastern New Mexico and West Texas, we just know that New Mexico doesn't let you graze over a certain amount of acres and this, yada, yada, yada. And we've got to pay the bills and we've got to do different stuff. And the land gets tired. But here you see something amazing. God says, I want you to start a crop rotation of rest. And I want the world to see it as they see this incredible principle that you can say it's not our idea. It's God's idea. It goes on, Leviticus, it says this. It says, uh, one, one thing I wanted to, uh, Leviticus 25, we got the, yeah. For six years you shall sow in the field, for six years you shall, you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But on the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to 
the Lord. And something I really wanted to point out here. Verse 5. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. Yeah. God then speaks to Moses and they start this system of rest when they entered into the promised land. In Exodus, he turns to a bunch of slaves and says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. Now imagine God telling this to a group of slaves who were now free who all they had ever known for hundreds of years is they worked 365 days, seven days a week, always on call to work for somebody else. And when God delivered them, he didn't work them like their former master. He said, I want you to be the people. Their God tells them to rest. And what I want to show you, if you want to get into the soul care revival, you've got to see the rhythm of God. And God's rhythm, God's rhythm is two parts. If I was to turn to you and say, what is Sabbath about? What would be your response? Rest. And that's only half it. The reality is, God told them to work, then rest. As Jesus followers, we must be great at working. Our heart needs to be in it. We need to be where God wants us to be. We need to be people that were known as honest, good workers. When they put their hand in something, they're, they're 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 problem solvers. These are the kind of people you want to work for you, but you need to be, be, be aware. These are people who work hard, but these are also people that by faith rest hard as well. It's not just an Old Testament principle. Jesus himself said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sunday, or your Sabbath day, whatever it is, isn't something that you need to think you have to do. It's something that you get to do. Sabbath is a get to. My God made a way for me to take off. It is good for my soul. It is a get to do it, not a have to do it. And it will be something that you will be so glad you did. I personally have spent a lot of time investigating this area for my life. I have purposely spent hours to go drive to be around some really wise men so that I can get a rhythm to my life. Cowboy Junction has grown, my family has grown, this community has grown, and I can get busy. And so one of the things that I do is every year I just leave, and I go find leaders who I really, really respect, and I ask if I can shadow them. Shadow just basically means is I'm going to come to your church, and I just want to jump in your back pocket, and I just want to watch you, I want to take notes, I want to write things down, I want to see how you do life, I want to see how you do leadership, 
I don't want to speak at your church. I don't want to speak to your staff. I, I, I don't want to speak to your leadership crew. I am here just to watch. And I've even gone as far to hire people to help me build my weekly schedule. Because here's what I've noticed. If I don't plan my week, people will plan my week for me. Okay? And I went to Lance Witt in Colorado, who is an incredible leader. And we sat down to build my schedule for the week. Now, we're going to sit down and we're going to discuss sermon development, leadership development, staff meetings, dating your wife. I've got blocked out a, a little portion of time to date my wife. You may want to write that one down. You need that one too. Okay. Um, um, prayer time, study time. We're going to get to all of these areas. But guess what the first question was he asked me? What's your Sabbath day? <laughs> Let's get to that. I mean, let's build. What, how are we going to get stuff done? And his words were so perfect. He said, Ty, if we work on you working first, we'll run out of space for when you're supposed to rest well. So we looked at and we decided. Sunday at 4 o'clock p.m. is the beginning of my Sabbath. Monday at 4 p.m. is the end of my Sabbath. It gives me time to come speak to you. It gives me time to be ready for the 6.30 service on Monday. But doing nothing has become a rhythm for my soul that has made me so productive in all the other areas of my life. It is something I'm so glad I did, and nobody taught me how to do this as a young man. We were supposed to give, 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 go, 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 do it all. But rest, you can rest when you die. Has anybody ever heard that before? You know what that got my soul? Burnout, frustration, anger towards people, anger towards me. I didn't think I was producing enough, doing enough. I was always tired. And I've learned Sabbath is good for your soul. Let me give you a quote. A man by the name of Rabbi Abraham Heskel. Okay, I think I'm saying that right. For, for, for my friends in the room and you know who they are, quoting a rabbi here today, this is pretty cool, right? Six days a week we wrestle with the world. Ringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. The world has our hands. But our soul, our soul belongs to someone, capital S, else. You have got to shut it down. Nothing is exactly what you're supposed to do. When God Sabbathed, he created nothing. And he just walked around and he saw all that he did. And he appreciated it. And he loved it. And he talked to it. And it was holy. So the first thing I want to talk to you about 
24-6, it is good for your soul. Secondly, and this is the one I'm really nervous about, but I'm ready for it. Number two, embrace ordinary. Come on, do you really want to hear this one? Embrace ordinary. I think one of the things you have to realize, this message is not my opinion. This is not something me sitting at home thinking, yeah, that that works for me and that's a good idea. These aren't good ideas. These are instructions, assignments from God. And a Sabbath is our kickoff today and it's something I want you to wrestle and pray about, but to embrace ordinary. See, here's what I found. Everybody wants to change the world, just nobody wants to do the dishes. Everybody wants to go change them. Everybody wants to speak up about that. Everybody wants to be significant. Everybody wants to be valuable. Everybody wants a price tag. Everybody wants likes and everyone wants followers. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Nobody wants to wash the dishes. And when I turn to you and say, this is scriptural, I'm fixing to drop some bombs that I bet you've never had someone teach on before. In fact, I bet if you've gone to church long enough, and for all my friends in the room that you've never gone to church, maybe this is a very American thing that we've embraced, almost like an American gospel. Have you ever heard these words before? It is so epic what we're about to do. This is going to be life-changing. He's the goat, the greatest of all time. That guy is a go-getter, mover, and shaker. He's a, he's a world changer. You need to make your life count. We want to be the best. We want to be the best in New Mexico. We want to be the best in Hobbes. We need to be the best. This is about being great. The greatness of God will be shown in what we do. And we want to be the best. And we need to make our life count. And let's not even get to ambition. And when you read this, if you're like me, I've heard a thousand preachers talk about this. And I'm all for all these things. But I can I turn to you and tell you, if I put my American gospel before God's gospel, it will not be the gospel. Okay. And, and I know you amen this. But is it registering? that we can go and do amazing, awesome, incredible, epic, life-changing, world-changing, amazing, great things for God. And then at the end of our life, turn to him and say, and him go, what? And you go, what? I did this all for you. And he goes, that's the problem. You weren't supposed to do it for me. You're supposed to do it with me. And you being this epic, amazing American Christian pulled you away from me. And you thought you were doing me a favor, but you gained the whole world. And I don't even know who you are. 
It's amazing how you went and built this and did this and preached that and, and wrote this while I stood over here and you pointed towards me from time to time. But you never walked by me any of the time. I was in the quiet place and you weren't there. I was with the people, but you were too busy doing your thing. So depart from me. I never knew you. And this is the scary part about American Christianity. It's the scary part. Because in our relentless pursuit to be extraordinary, we have minimized the power of being ordinary. And it's exactly what Scripture tells us. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, and, and all of my days I never heard one of my pastors preach on this. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, so the whole crew, brothers, yeah, girls, jump in on this, to do so more and more. And what's the more and more? To love people. Love people, love people, love people. And you're going to read that. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we have told you, just as we've told you before, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This has been convicting for me because I was the kid who just thought he could never be anything, never be anything. And what if being was dependent upon trusting in God with all of my heart and to be faithful with the very simple things he's given me. And if I can be faithful with the little, he will bless it in his timing as the maturity process takes place. But the instruction here goes against everything we think about in American Christianity. And maybe we should be convicted of it. The reality is, there's a few points. And to make it very clear, one of the things is, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To just be faithful with the little things. You should mind your own business. You should work with your hands. Practice the gifting and talents that you've been given. Be a good employee. Be a good boss. Okay? But we've told you this before. But then the second thing is something we don't think about. What if our extraordinary, awesome, epic vision and ideas on how our lives should be got changed, clipped, pruned to the point that we realize that our daily life, if we can learn to live a quiet life, will actually win the respect of the people watching your life. And you know what? This is good for our soul to hear. 
I don't think it's going to get fixed today. But I think the seed will be planted today. And what you do with it will be the evidence of your maturity or your immaturity. I think that we should be people who do ordinary well. So there was a very successful man by the name of Solomon. Solomon is an interesting figure in the Bible because he is both both unbelievably successful and an absolute train wreck at the same time. He is a king of God, from God. He was ruling over Israel. And in, in, in our history, godly history, he is both amazing and bankrupt at the same time. He has more money than any person who ever walked the face of the earth, has experienced everything anyone would ever want to experience, has done everything every one of us ever dreamed of, and there is an absolute emptiness to his soul. And what makes him great for us, he writes about it. And he tells us wise, amazing things, and he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, he says something really interesting. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. This is his lot in life. Okay. This is what I've seen, okay, that this is good that a man realize this. Eat and drink. Enjoy the toil, the work that you do. As one toils under the sun, because life is short and you only have a few days, and this is a lot, this is your lot in life. And let me just tell you why nobody uses this. Because it's the most depressing scripture in all of the Bible. And I know as you're sitting there going, what the crud? I, I marked that out of my Bible. Some you people use highlight pens. Other people use Sharpies. But I told you, if there's ever something we do today and read that you push back on, you should really ask yourself why. Because here is the author, the richest man, wisest man to ever live, who messed his life up in every possible way, turning and writing and saying, I don't think the normal man realizes how blessed he is. I don't know if the ordinary guy really knows that I have everything he wants, meaning Solomon, but when I look at him, he's got everything I want. When you begin to finally realize the value of your ordinary, your kids don't annoy you. You realize how blessed you are. And Solomon is telling you, my kids want to hunt me down and kill me, and they want my kingdom. They do. 
Solomon would end up being the enemy to his son. And it's ugly, all because of money. And he says, gosh, I see you outside playing with your kids. I know you want to be inside resting. I've watched you when you went to work and you toiled under the sun. And you wanted to get home and your kids are bugging you. Go throw the baseball. Go throw the baseball. Go throw the baseball. Come on, Dad. Let's go rope the dummy. Let's go rope the dummy. Come on, Dad. Let's go. And, And I know you really want to take a nap, but I see you go outside and play with your kids and you just don't know how blessed you are. I see your wife after the second song, before the third song, put her arm around you and pray for you before you go up on the stage. Have you guys ever seen Heather pray for me before I come up? That's completely unscripted. That's 100% Heather. And sometimes when she prays for me, I, I, I don't even hear what she says. I just think, God, I'm so blessed. Your wife loves you. And you need to stop and realize how blessed you are. That, that job you have, to have a skill that's unique to you, you curse it, you hate it, you hate going to work, but God gave you a gift and you're good at it. And we don't see ordinary as incredible. But the reality is that you ever thought about, we call it supernatural, but the reality Break it down. It's naturally super. It's taking the natural and God making it supernatural. And it is good with your soul for you to finally get to a place to where you can be happy with your life. Is God going to add to it? Absolutely. We see that. Old people turn and go, don't worry about the stuff you can't control. It'll all work out in the end. Just keep showing up. Keep showing up. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. It will multiply. It will multiply and it will multiply. I promise you won't have anything to do with it. But you will have something to do if you miss the soul care of loving where you're at. I know this may sound repetitious, but one of the most popular videos on YouTube right now is a commencement speech where Admiral McRaven is talking about Navy SEALs and what it takes to be a Navy SEAL and him being the admiral that overlooked everything. And he said something so cool. He said, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. And and it's one of the most popular YouTube videos right now. And so I thought for a minute... You want to go do great things and don't let the American gospel screw up your life. Stop and realize taking natural things is something like, okay, here we go. What if you just simply get to bed on time? Go to bed on time. I mean, it's not goosebumpy. It's not chicken skinny. Chicken skin's when it crawls. <laughs> Just go to bed on time. Get out of bed on time. Go to the gym. Spend daily time with God. Unplug from the phone. Pray. Date your spouse three people thought that was a good idea plan your schedule for the month 
call your parents. And it doesn't seem super. But when you take the natural and combine them with God's super, it turns into the supernatural. And I'm going to say it in like a preacher voice. And it turns into the supernatural. Ha! (laughs) Come on. There is a rhythm. And some of your souls are burnt out. And some of your temper is because you're spread thin. And God is saying, take your everyday ordinary life and see what I can do with it. Romans 12, 1, 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. But he goes on. He says, don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and then quickly respond to it. And then he says, unlike the culture around you, like other people aren't going to get this, but this isn't between you and them. This is between you and God. Always dragging you down. This is the culture. Always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. So, I don't know if you heard, but this week we got hacked. And if you ever get Facebook hacked, there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Now, you think you can, but you can't. Facebook doesn't care. There's not a customer service. They don't care. So what you find out is that you have to hire a hacker to hack the hacker. Or you have to pay the ransom that the hacker is asking you to pay to get your page back. And we didn't know all these things, so Brady's telling me. It was Heather and I's anniversary this weekend, and I'm just thinking we gotta get the Facebook page back, we gotta get Sadie's Facebook page back, we gotta help, we gotta get this back. And so one morning I just woke up and I went and prayed. And it was as quickly as I prayed, God, what do we do? We hire a hacker to hack this thing. And, and Brady had a guy who he knew, or he got, got on the internet, said, I can hack back into your account. And what we ended up finding out is this hacker was a hacker that was going to hack the hacker to get us back into our hacked account. <laughs> and God asked me, 
If someone stole all your stuff, would you hire a thief to steal it back? I said, it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> he goes, no. In fact, he said, I want you to just think how much your identity is wrapped up in how people view you in Cowboy Junction on Facebook. So we don't hire thieves to steal things back. We don't hire hackers to hack back in, and we don't negotiate with thieves either. He said, Ty, it's time to let it go. You know how hard that is? You've been taken advantage of. You want to get them back. Has anybody else thought about hiring someone to figure out who they are, get the address, fly there, and show up at their doorstep? I haven't. <laughs> and God is saying, let it go. And I'm in this series about it is well with your soul. And I called Brady up and I said, buddy, I told him everything I just told you. I said, let's just start another page. And Brady's mad. I don't blame him. Our identity is not on Facebook. I know some of you are thinking, well, people are going to have a bad view of Cowboy Junction because of Facebook? And that's exactly what the culture wants us to think. Around here, we quit things. And it is good for our soul. Around here, we learn from things. We have a great reputation at Cowboy Junction, and we'll just build another page. And if all the hacker got was our Facebook page to post volleyball pictures on, bio con Dios, buddy. <laughs> We're going to start another page. And can I turn to you and say that sometimes our life gets hacked, too, by hackers. And perhaps you're living a life that hackers have hacked into your life and is telling you that you have to do life a certain way. And I would turn to you and say, either you're going to live off a hacker's opinion of your life for the rest of your life, or you're going to back, go back to the original creation that is good for your soul to live the way that God wants you to live and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. I'm reading from my Bible today, Romans chapter 8, if you want to write this down, verse 12. Let me read it to you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are God's children. They are of God. So you have, no, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, we call him 
Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. Cowboy Junction, 24-6 is a rhythm. And a quiet, ordinary life of natural and God's hand turns into a supernatural life that is a witness to those around us. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, today I pray for this crew that this goes to our soul. And as this seed is planted in their hearts, we would wrestle it. And we would look at the divine rhythm that comes from you, Abba Father. I pray for each man in this room that they would look at their life as if a hacker has hacked to completely manipulate us from maturity to immaturity. Yet each woman in this room would look to see, are we in the rhythm that God wants us to be in? Or have I built a rhythm of my own? I pray for every single person in this room that they would find so much joy and peace in this season of singleness. That even in this time right now, there is a rhythm that God has got them in. They're not forgotten. They're right where they're supposed to be. And it should be well with their soul. So lead us to maturity and away from immaturity. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,